This is EntreEd Talk, the podcast for entrepreneurial educators by entrepreneurial educators. We are your hosts, Toy Hirschman and Amber Ravenscroft. This podcast is created by the National Consortium for Entrepreneurship Education, or EntreEd for short. We do want to start with a definition of entrepreneurship education as we view it at EntreEd. And this actually comes, I'm going to read you the title of this article and you're going to be like, ah, Um, So it is the contribution of realist evaluation to critical analysis of the effectiveness of entrepreneurship education competitions. (laughs) So a lot of words for something that we think is really simple, but we want to start with a definition of entrepreneurship education because we really want to focus on this idea that entrepreneurship is not just business acumen. And so we really like this one definition that puts three critical components to entrepreneurship education. The first is entrepreneurship, which is the actual application of entrepreneurial characteristics and qualities. So business acumen, you know, how to create a business, how to get students thinking um, in a business sense and starting their own business. But we like to take it a step further. And these two other pieces are critical in EntreEd's mind uh, as to the implementation of entrepreneurship education. So the second piece is entrepreneurial. And Toy, I know you're a big advocate for this, but it's basically the state of being entrepreneurial. So the mindsets, and you'll hear Toy talk mindsets all day. It's her wheelhouse. So that's really something that we try to get schools to move from the state of entrepreneurship where they're just introducing students to business components, how to, how to start a business, and move them into this context of being entrepreneurial and adopting those mindsets in any application. And then this final tier of entrepreneurship education that we view is critical at EntreEd, and we've talked a lot about this, is this idea of entrepreneurism, which is the creation of an entrepreneurial culture and support structure in schools. And we talked a little bit offline here just about how important it is to have that administrative and leadership buy-in to move schools into the next level of entrepreneurship education. So we wanted to start with that so that we could introduce some cool exemplars here later on in the episode about how schools are doing that really well. Um, But Toy, do you want to talk a little bit about what we mean and EntreEd preaches about entrepreneurial infusion first? Yeah, yeah. And that is such a great definition, Amber. I'm so glad that that you introduced it because that's a lot of times the stumbling block when we go into schools for the first time, it's really difficult to get past that idea in everyone's brain that entrepreneurship is that first piece, that process, the application of basically the application of the mindsets. And it's like, you know, chicken and egg, (laughs) what comes first? But we focus largely on the mindset piece at EntreEd because we know, we know that by helping kids build an entrepreneurial mindset, if they want to be an entrepreneur and participate in entrepreneurship, they can. But if they want to think like an entrepreneur and work in a traditional work environment, they can do that. And they're going to be way more valuable to their employers because of that mindset. And it's not going to matter where these, I mean, it's not going to matter where these students land. Those, those mindsets are going to be important no matter what they do, because they don't really have a choice anymore. When I was in school, nobody ever mentioned ever the idea of entrepreneurship. Um, You know, it was go to school, go to college or not, but get a job and you work somewhere for 30, 40, 50 years. Well, that didn't work out for me at all. And I thought that I was nuts, but turns out I just have an entrepreneurially minded person. 
So this, this concept of getting to the place where we're building in schools, we're kind of fighting a traditional school structure. And that's difficult because there's not a lot of latitude in the school day for teachers to add new things. There's not a lot of latitude for teachers to stop and give students all kinds of time to you know, pursue their own interests and all of these things. It would be great if all schools could do that. But we know the reality of it, and that's that they can't. So what we try to do at EntreEd is say, all right, here's how you can infuse entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial mindsets into what you're already doing, because that's the easiest step one. If you go into a school that you know, is, is bombarded with standards, all schools are, you know, bombarded with testing, bombarded with all of these things that teachers have to deal with. They have so much on their plate. You cannot expect to hand them a new curriculum and them to be happy about it at all. <laughs> so what we try to explain to, to teachers that, you know, we're, we're empowering you to come up, find a place in your curriculum that it makes sense to infuse entrepreneurship activity or something that accesses entrepreneurial mindsets, you know, to give them that extra piece that will help them start to develop those mindsets on their own. A couple of like a, a couple of quick examples from our travels. We have a lot of schools that do things differently because we leave it to the teachers to decide how we're going to do that. You know, how are you going to, you know, pay teachers? How are you going to build this in your school? And empowering teachers, and then hopefully that empowers the students as a fallout from that. And so we have several schools that have greenhouses where we have a lot of schools in farm areas. So they have greenhouses and things. And I mean, even in some of the cities, we <laughs> they have little greenhouses all over the school. And the students are, are largely in charge of that. You might not think about that as entrepreneurship and the kids might not think about that as entrepreneurship until the teacher just takes that one, you know, the greenhouse activity and makes it explicit and said, you know, take it to the real world. So you're already growing these things. You're eating what you're growing in, in the cafeteria. That's really cool. And that's sustainable. And that's, that's beautiful on so many levels. But if you were doing this for real, what would you do with that? Where would you take it? How, and, and that's where the entrepreneur component comes in. And we have a school that does this thing. They had the, the school garden and they had it in the cafeteria and then they, they took it one step further and now they've partnered up with local restaurants. And so they're really doing a farm to table. The kids are really doing a farm to table business, which is really amazing. We have a lot of like this ag innovation stuff where schools that have these great robust ag programs, you know, they're, they're branching out. There's a school in Kentucky that raises tilapia and they're raising it as a business. And, and these are not just high schools. The, the school I mentioned with the farm to table, that's elementary school. Yeah. You know, there's second and third graders doing that. And it's really cool, you know, and, and those are more group things, but we also have teachers that just do things in their own classroom and they start, they start to take a look at their curriculum and their standards and where they can put these entrepreneurial components and where where there is room to give students a little more latitude in deciding what, what can I work on. A really fun example of this, and I challenge I challenge the teacher with this. There's a teacher that has an entrepreneurial lesson connected to the quadratic equation. Pretty awesome. <laughs> because the teacher is like, there's no, you're never going to figure this out. So we actually work together to, to figure out. And she has this cool lesson about how you, and I, I haven't worked with the quadratic equation since college or maybe before that. It's a really cool lesson where students come up with a product idea. 
And it start, kind of starts that entrepreneurship, that kind of that basic, they, they come up with a product idea. The product idea really isn't even the big, the reason. It just gives them something to kind of connect to. But then they have to figure out, you know, what are my tooling costs? What are my, like all of the costs to manufacture and then price per unit. And it ends up being this amazingly robust <laughs> quadratic curve where the price point is so clear where they have to set the price based on some of the parameters that they've researched. And you get this beautiful curve and right there in the sweet spot is where they sell it. It was fascinating. <laughs> Come up with that. You know what? I, if I had that lesson, I probably would remember what the quadratic equation is today. Yep. <laughs> so that was like one Me of those too. high school things that you were like, or high school, even algebra, like one or two in college where you're like, what is the real world application of this? I'm just taking this as like a computer course where they're asking me to type it in. I don't know what this means. So I struggled with math. I wish that I would have had some application when I was younger. Entrepreneurship is just taking opportunity and recognizing opportunity and, and applying that to different learning. I mean, like that's the only way to make it real. And we talk a lot about how there's this really close connection between PBL, project-based or problem-based learning and entrepreneurship, because that is entrepreneurship education. It's just confusing, like you said, that why at the front end. So, yeah. Yep. If, if you can, you can almost connect any, if we can connect the quadratic equation, y'all, yeah. we can connect anything. Yeah. There is a way to connect entrepreneurship to anything that, that you're teaching when you think about it in terms of the mindsets. Uh-huh. And those mindsets, like Amber, what you're saying, it's it's so true. Like the, the PBL stuff it, and STEM, it lends itself so well to that. It's that next question, you know, why are we doing this project? What is the point? And a lot of times, unfortunately, schools miss that point. You know, teachers think, you know, I've seen a lot of, especially in, in math and places where teachers are like, I want to make this more interesting because kids aren't getting this abstract concept. And that's wonderful that they want to take that step. But then they do something that really doesn't make, it's like a project, but it's really more of an exercise, like an art project yeah. connected kind of back to the math. It seems clunky when you see it in a classroom and the, the students know that it's clunky. But if you can actually connect it to something that they're interested in, that they get in the, that it's part of their world and, you know, kids, kids get money. They, they know what they can do with it. They know what they you know, what it means if they have it and they know what it means if they don't. And, you know, if that's the compelling goal to get kids to, to start thinking like an entrepreneur, that's, that's where we're trying to get, you know, I give examples all the time from my own children Y'all just going to have to deal with that. Uh, but I had the most amazing conversation with my eight-year-old the other day. He's doing a project at school, one of these clunky projects, but he, it's still, a, it's okay, um, where he is researching a famous YouTuber. We were very excited that his teacher allowed him to research this YouTuber, but now he wants to be a YouTuber. And I said, fantastic. <laughs> Knowing that it's like less than one-tenth of one percent, that uh, can you even make a dollar on your YouTube, but that's okay. And I said, you know, you, if you really want to do this and broadcast, I will, I will fund you. I will back you. I will help you in every single way, but you have to figure it out. And that's where uh, that kind of encapsulates exactly what we're trying to do with EntreEd and like giving kids a compelling goal. If you have a compelling goal, you're going to deal with the hurdles that you have to go through to get to that goal if it's compelling enough. And we don't give kids a compelling goal, like just saying, oh, great, we need to, the compelling goal is getting an A. Right, 100%. Which 
we probably can't change that whole grading system in, in this country and nor would we want to, but we need to find ways that, that the goal is more compelling than getting an A. And I don't because think we need to. I think what we need to do is change the pathway to the A, like give more choice to the students. Right. Yes. The yes. Goal, the compelling goal should be created by students, not the teacher. They should have right. the freedom to, to do that. Something that I think is really interesting as you're talking about like this whole mindset thing, I was talking to Sam Steidel, who is one of our entrepreneurial friends from Roanoke, Virginia, and she'll be a later episode of EntreEd Talk. But um, we were talking a little bit about you know, how this is envisioned in the UK, where a lot of this research for entrepreneurship education comes out, and actually where that definition came from, because there's not much happening in the US around entrepreneurship education research and, and how can we create a framework around this. But she said that in the UK, they don't call it business. They call it entrepreneurial mindset classes. Like they, it is a complete shift in their entire culture. And so those kids, they're not, they're not being told they're in a business class. They're being told they're in an entrepreneurship class and it's infused in every aspect of their learning. And so they're producing, I mean, their, their entrepreneurship rates are out of the water compared to the U S just because of that exposure at this age. And that's what we're talking about, right? Like they've created a compelling goal for those students from the get-go. And then they move forward and they create these movements in the cultures and the communities that they're working in. And that's, I think that's so important for us to be thinking about as we move forward with this. So, yeah, I mean, I love that you have examples of your own. My little brother, he's a tinkerer. Like he is, he's not an English class kind of guy. He is a tinkerer. So he gets very, he feels stagnant, right? In the traditional K-12 environment because he doesn't have that opportunity to tinker. He can come home and he can fix our iron furnace. He can fix a car. And he didn't learn any of that from school. He learned it from just being around my dad, who's an entrepreneur. And he learned that from like failing to fix this truck five times and it would run two minutes and then it would fail. And he kept going because his compelling goal was when he turned 16, he wants that truck to be his truck. And so, but he didn't learn that in a traditional or that grit in a traditional sense. He learned that because that was his mindset that he was going to get through it. It's just so interesting to me that we don't always recognize those mindsets in some of these non-traditional students that, are, that aren't excelling necessarily in those standard classes with A's and B's, but that they go home and they're making significant impact on their community and in their home life. Entrepreneurship education can affect everyone differently. It can affect the traditional exemplary students and it can affect those students who might be struggling a little bit in that rigid model. So yeah, hundred yeah. percent. It's, it's definitely the universal equalizer yeah. and it was so apparent to me. Um, I was an administrator in a career tech center a while back and didn't really at that point in time, you know, this was over a decade ago, but may, no, not quite. Um, but didn't really even dawn on me that at that time about entrepreneurship, we had an entrepreneurship pathway as part of our business ed. That was, but you know, it didn't dawn on me. I didn't realize that I was entrepreneurially minded at that point. But what hit me over the head was these kids that would come from other schools. They would feed into our career tech center from other schools and, you know, the welding kids, building trades, kids, auto body kids, nursing, all of these kids that were, you know, on a, on a business kind of or workforce kind of track and how terrible they felt about themselves. Mm -hmm. And I would talk to these kids and they just had this idea of their lives. Like they were worthless, useless, you know, and I'm, and I'm looking at this, this one boy was the most talented welder you've ever seen. Like he ended up 
doing very well, but he could like hang off the side of buildings. He was very fit, you know, and weld things. And I mean, it was just unbelievable and just beautifully. I didn't know anything about welding, but I could tell that was a good darn job. (laughs) And he felt like he was a piece of gum on the bottom of somebody's shoe because he'd spent his whole life not succeeding in traditional classes and teachers and administrators and just the culture telling him, you stink. Yep. And that, but that skill, he's making more money than most of his counterparts that graduated with master's degrees later. He had the ability to start a business from that skill. You know, these construction kids that are so, so talented, they can go work and apprentice for somebody, but they can then start their own construction company. And those are the things we need to start sharing with them. And, you know, this is not you're a bad student, so you have to come to the vocational school. This is an opportunity for you to excel far beyond what you thought. And that's where those, those, that entrepreneurial mindset comes in. Let's talk about that a little bit because there is this huge stigma, and I think it's getting better, but there's a huge stigma around career and technical education and vocational school. I mean, I remember when I was in high school, people were like, oh, you're going to Votech. Like it was like, yeah, don't get on that bus. They make double what people that graduate four-year degrees make and they have the opportunity to own their own business because they're in a underrepresented trade that we actually need. I want to talk a little bit about how West Virginia has revolutionized that because I think they've done really really good at changing that stigma. So in West Virginia they've created what's called simulated workplace. It's an initiative where every career and technical classroom at CTE centers, comprehensive high schools, any high school that offers a career in tech pathway, those classrooms become workplaces and they're industry regulated. The students clock in, clock out. They have to apply for jobs. They have to be thinking and and address these compelling goals that we talked about when they graduate so that they are actually getting that leadership, real world experience. They can work with real clients and it has completely transformed how career and technical education is viewed in West Virginia. And I think that that's a really good model of ways to infuse entrepreneurship education into career and tech so that they have like this tangible idea of where they could take a job after they graduate. I mean, and they're already certified. And in a lot of those communities, those trades are desperately needed. Like we need plumbers, we need construction people, we need welders, we need nurses. And a lot of times if those communities don't have a place for you to enter as that, you have to create that job. We talked about this on a previous episode, right? Like the the doctors that have to create their own practice because they might not be served in that area. It's the same thing. That trade school concept is so important to these communities. And I think that we really need to work on reducing that stigma. And I think entrepreneurship education is the way to do that. You're, you will be successful when you graduate those programs. There's no doubt about it. If you put in the effort, you will be successful. And I mean, I wish now that I could go back and rethink that opportunity because they graduate with a lot of skills that would be applicable even if you do go on to higher ed and you want to move forward. I didn't get on that bus either (laughs) (laughs) because of the stigma, the stigma. And, you know, and I would have taken auto body or I would have taken something. I went into mechanical engineering and it would have been so much more helpful to me than, you know, the typing class that I did take. It's so true. And West Virginia has gotten out in front of it um, probably more than I, I don't know if any other state that as a state has done that with career tech. And even before simulated workplace started, they were in all of the CTE programs. They had a basically a real world. They had they the kids had to come up with a real world problem to solve. And that was part of their 
final grade. They like, even in, you know, building trades, they had a portfolio. They had, they had a real problem that they had to come up with to solve. can't remember what that, the name of that thing was called. It was, um, but it was a big part of their, and they had to present their idea to a panel of industry people, of actual business people. We work with the State Department a lot on the leadership for that program um, when that initiative just started, and they do an incredible job. And I also, I want to stress that you can get a lot of very cool, like, futuristic skills in, like, emerging industries coming from simulated workplace. So we just featured a robotics team that's doing, like, VEX robotics and coding and computer science. There's, like, CAD and, and 3D design programs. There's marketing programs. Like it is not necessarily just like a traditional trade that you're thinking of. There's a lot of pathways in those places. And so, I mean, I think simulated workplace, it's, it's on a national spotlight right now. A lot of other states have come to West Virginia to look at that leadership to see how that's affecting it. I think they've had visitors from like Australia and other foreign countries that are really interested in this model and how it's working. So that's just a really cool example because career and technical education, it can, it's like a, it seems like a natural connection for us, but maybe if we could think of a couple examples of some of those, those classrooms that it's not always easy. So I always think when we're in our trainings, we get like most of the questions and pushback against electives, which I think it's super easy to see an elective transitioned into an entrepreneurship education process. So I read this really cool example, and it was about a music class. I mean, a musician is inherently inherent entrepreneur. And what they did in the music class was they grouped these students, and they were like, you're now a band. You need to manage your band tour. You need to manage your band finances. And they like learned the entire time, but they created this entrepreneurial pathway for musicians that the students just thought like we were learning an instrument. They didn't see how it could apply, but then they added that application and some of those students went on to actually like keep that band moving beyond their like introductory music class and they took higher level music and then they graduated and they were continuing to do this as their side hustle and like some of them started making a profit from this and I, it just seemed like a such a cool example of PBL that it, that had this entrepreneurial infusion and then the trajectory of those students just kept going how easy the that's kind of the point of what we're trying to say cuz how easy was that for that teacher and how much fun yeah. was that for that teacher to do that? It fit right in with her standards or his, I don't know, you know, it fit in with standards. It was interesting for the kids. So the kids are not going to be misbehaving. They're not, you know, it's, it's amazing what just giving them that relevance. I mean, many kids that are musicians probably think, oh yeah, maybe I'll start a band later, but giving them, walking them kind of through that and and they can actually see maybe this is something I want to do. Maybe it's not, but it's that process where the learning happens. The learning, you know, it's it's all about that that process. Um, I met an art teacher the other day that she really is a STEM teacher, but she's an art. But he's gone far above and beyond what art, you know, what a traditional art. I mean, this is what art should be. She's you know bringing in other mediums and exposing kids to yeah. like architecture and things, and she does it all in the context of connecting it to the real world and entrepreneurship and our schedules got messed up. And so I didn't get to see her during planning. So I said, well, I can wait around. And she's like, no, 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 it's okay. And we went and talked in her classroom with seventh graders. Okay. Okay. If you ever, if you ever taught middle school, this is very rare. <laughs> and she just spent like 30 seconds telling them to get started on the project they were working on. And she and I sat in the corner and talked the entire time and they did their thing. Yep. And, you know, not that you don't want the teacher engaged. This was a, a, you know, a different kind of situation day with the snow and everything. But 
you know, that, that speaks volumes in terms of classroom management. When kids are engaged and they're compelled and they're motivated, they're not, you're not going to have all of the problems that you normally have. When I was in career tech and I had a school full of engaged kids, I didn't see kids for discipline, maybe one ever. You know, I, I saw kids for, they hurt themselves, you know, they were late for school or something, but I didn't see them because they were misbehaving or there were no discipline problems. Absolutely. And um, that always floored the other principals at the high schools because like, what? Because they're sending me their biggest, baddest, you know, kid that's not succeeding in traditional academic classes and not a problem. So it's just, it, it's just really interesting when you give kids something that is actually meaningful, how far they can go with it we don't give them credit. And so like the, the arts example is a great thing. It's so easy to connect. You said your brother was a tinkerer, you know, STEM and makerspace. Like you can't ask for an easier place to connect entrepreneurial mindsets. Sometimes, you know, most in, in those makerspaces and they're prototyping things, it's all about just having the conversation. Well, okay. You just built this really cool circuit board that does this, this, and this. What's next? What would be next? Entrepreneurship is really one of the only ways to make makerspaces applicable. I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not hitting on makerspaces. I think it's super important to tinker and to inquire and to learn to fail. But the entrepreneurship piece infused into makerspaces is how to make that failure and that tinkering and that discovery applicable to move forward. Like, entrepreneurship is the best tool to infuse actual learning into makerspaces, in my, in my opinion. So I don't want to speak for anyone. But we've seen how many of our schools move in that direction because there's massive support for STEM initiatives and entrepreneurship isn't inherently STEM because as we move forward and like those new jobs need to be created, you have to have entrepreneurial mindsets to create the jobs. So like you're discovering new things through STEM, we're moving women and different minorities and less represented people in those fields. You need to give them the mindsets to create their own jobs moving forward from that. I think it's important that as we advance STEM education, we also advance entrepreneurship and arts. E-STEAM, STEAM, STREAM. Entrepreneurship has to go with you guys. So keep it moving. Yeah, I do want to talk about, there was this really cool, back to the middle school example and like the, the elective example in arts. Actually, I went to, I toured a middle school recently in PA and they have transitioned their entire elective swing into what they call the dream factory. And they do interdisciplinary units so a student goes to home ec, right? And they learn how to make chocolate. They go to tech ed and they 3D print the molds to make chocolate bars. They go to art and they graphic design a chocolate bar wrapper. And then they go and they go to a, a design studio or a graphic media studio and they create a commercial to sell these chocolate bars. And they have a profitable business by the time they're in sixth grade that goes back to fund those programs and continue to advance it. So I think that's really cool. And I think that it's important that we to also talk about this is a completely interdisciplinary thing that can happen and it should happen naturally. I mean, the band example for those students would go back to their English class and like write copy and write lyrics for their songs. And then they would go to music and they put the music to the songs. They'd go to art and they design the logo for their band. Like these are everything that happens in this, in this realm is interdisciplinary at its finest. We were there when that, when we had that gym teacher that like had this first off, it is super hard for a gym teacher to conceptualize entrepreneurship education, which I mean, I get, I mean, it is a little bit difficult, but as soon as we were like, well, what can your students do that they could sell? And they came up with like 80 million options. They came up with selling nutrition plans from the health class and like working with people. And then like the workout videos. I love that. And they're interdisciplinary in that you're, they also were selling them to the community members, I think. 
they were taking their weightlifting class and creating these videos on how to properly demonstrate lifts and then creating workout plans for community members. And it's just talk about shifting an entire community because a lot of those schools and those rural areas are really dealing with some health issues too. Um, and so like having the kids come to the forefront of that was amazing. Yeah. I loved that one. That was really cool. Yeah. That was a really outside of the box (laughs) way of thinking, but you know, it's funny because we don't think about sports and gym. We don't, that's another thing. You don't think about that as entrepreneurial, but those kids probably are the, one of the best groups of athletes or one of the best groups of, of students to get perseverance and compelling goals. Like they already have that. They just don't really haven't figured out how to apply it to other parts of their life. Um, Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, is fantastic in describing this. And she like she's looked at many elite athletes and how many hours they practiced and how many, like how much pain they've gone through and how much, how many trials and upsets and defeats and everything else to get because they were so focused on yeah. that goal. And that's the same mindset. That's an entrepreneurial mindset. That's the same mindset that we want to see kids build. And the reason that we we have this, we have our America's Entrepreneurial Schools Initiative, we're trying to, to build that. And we know it's going to take time because you're shifting a culture of the school. That's where the ism comes in, the entrepreneurism. And what Amber is talking about, the school in Pennsylvania that you saw, where it's like this transdisciplinary theme of entrepreneurship and every class hooks into each other. So you're not just... I'm going to go into science class. Okay, now forget science, go into math class, forget math, go into English class. And we've compartmentalized classes so much that that's a huge culture shift to turn that around and be like that school in Pennsylvania where everything is connected under this kind of overarching umbrella of entrepreneurship. And we know that it's unrealistic to go from zero to that, from zero to ism, (laughs) you know, in an instant. But if you're focused on turning that culture around to get there, that's where we you know, say, let's do one thing this year. Let's try to do some, some activities this year. Then we'll do some more next year. When we do, and, and eventually it bleeds out into the, whole, you know, into the whole school where students are more comfortable with risk and failure. And it takes a little while for that shift to happen. And so that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get kids out of that old mindset of, I I failed this test. All right. Test is over. You know, I give up, but I can't do, I can't do math. I can't do to where there's a reason to want to learn it. You know, I struggled with math. I was better at it. You know, it was one of my stronger things, but once I got into higher levels, I struggled. It was important for me (laughs) for what my goal was at the time to get through it. And I, you know, I had friends that didn't have to study like I did, but I had to, that was a compelling goal for me, but for a lot of kids grades and that that's not compelling enough. So we need to get them to a place where they see parts of school as important to push through some of the hard stuff. A hundred percent. I think what we should do, Toy, is we should try to loop in some of those schools that we talked about as exemplars today. And that wasn't just a school thing. That's actually a district-wide initiative. And they were a public school in a very rural area. You are not so confined by limited funding by your geographic location, it is possible in any school to shift that mindset. But um, I think we want to probably wrap it up. And I want to um, briefly talk about who we're going to have on our next episode. We're actually bringing in our first student entrepreneur. So we'll be bringing Mark Sotomayor. He was one of our featured student entrepreneurs at our um, EntreEd Forum in 2018. And we're super excited to interview him. We hope you'll stay tuned. So thank you all for listening and we'll see you next time.